Aaron told me at one time about, uh, they have down here Reverend Steve Smith. Is that how you want it? About Reverend Steve Smith that uh, he gave up a lot as far as the world is concerned to get into ministry, and you'll find that out. Reverend Steve Smith has been a pastor for 29 years and the senior pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church for over 19 years and has led multi-staff in further the kingdom of God. He experienced a road to Damascus type of conversion while serving in Vietnam where he was an officer and pilot in the United States Army. Serving two tours in Vietnam, he was awarded the Silver Star, three distinguished flying crosses, five bronze stars for valor, 45 medals with six, mm, don't know, V devices for valor. Two Army Commendation Medals with V devices, Purple Heart, Vietnam Cross of Gallantry, Individual Award, numerous campaign medals, and the Broken Wing Award. Prior to full-time call to the ministerial service, Reverend Schmidt was a successful businessman for a large national firm, also a successful entrepreneur owning two businesses. He is presently president of Solutions, a human resource development company. Reverend Schmidt has served on the old OBC Board of Trustees and a member of the state prey team that did the reorganization of the state administration, serving two terms on the regional board and executive committee, chaired the personal committee for six years, and past president of the Ohio Minister's Council. He has also been a denominational general board member, American Baptist Churches USA, and on the board of International Ministries USA. Reverend Smith is listed in the who's who in American religion and who's who in business. Pastor Steve and his wife, Mary, have three grown children and grandchildren. One thing I liked about this, I saw a bumper sticker thing on the back of a diamond plate toolbox on a truck, Southern Ohio, you know, that's what we've got. And it said, uh, it's hard to be a comeback when you haven't been anywhere. <laughs> Some of you know who, who this person is. I thought, boy, that's straight up podunk for Southern Ohio. Sometimes I hate the thoughts that I have an accent or that uh, people judge me for living in Southern Ohio. But let me tell you, if there is that mentality, if you want to put that on people or an area, if that's what you want to think, we're just hillbillies, podunks. I guess after reading that, I wouldn't think this about Reverend Steve Smith. And I'm glad that if that is what people think, that if the world wants to judge people and really wants to look about where we live, because I have a friend who's very judgmental towards this area and he just refuses to live here and I thought why don't you come into our world and change it then since you're so proper <laughs> come on bring all your good stuff I know what you know if that's what you've got why don't you come somewhere and change it won't you be a missionary and move to Ohio southern Ohio and change it but God has us here and he sends some people that are so-called what other people think, you know, from the big city that can do the big stuff, but loves Jesus enough to listen to that call and deny what the world calls successful and to come and do what he's called to do and probably receive a greater reward than he ever will have. So I'm thankful for Pastor Reverend Steve Smith. Give him a big hand of applause. Thank you, brother. God bless you. <laughs> I'm kind of a missionary to Southern Ohio. <laughs> I was born and raised in the farm country of Michigan, went to West Virginia, which is almost heaven, to be sent into the outermost parts of the world. That's Ohio. But it feels like coming home. 
uh, you know, we bounced around a number of different places, both in business and when I was in the service. And um, Chillicothe in southern Ohio, I said, was the first time in many, many years we felt like we came home. You know, that's where my kids grew up. This is the place that we love. And they may say all kinds of things about Southern Ohio, but people in Southern Ohio are real. I mean, they're real. They're real people. They don't put on airs. You, 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 what you see is what you get, and that's the way it's supposed to be. I understand the Bible says, let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nay. He was thinking of Southern Ohio. <laughs> Thank you for letting me come today. It's a privilege and it's an honor. I bring you greetings from Tabernacle Baptist Church as well. Uh, Skip Cousins is there. And last time on the fifth Sunday, your pastor, Aaron, was there. Um, It is a joy to be here. Uh, Pastor Eric was a dear, dear friend of mine and a prayer warrior with me for many, many years. And uh, one of the things I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven is seeing them again. I've said before, the, um, the more uh, we invest in heaven, the sweeter it becomes. And so I'm looking forward to that. But over the last few years, I have had such a joy in getting to know Pastor Aaron. What a man of God. You know, Eric did well when he, when he brought him along and, and mentored him and trained him and prepared him for this very, very hour. And he's been a blessing as a prayer warrior as well. So thank you for giving me the privilege of knowing two of your pastors, and both of them have blessed my lives. You know, coming today, I, I have to share with you a story. I, 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 I just have to do that. I was so excited about coming, I started dreaming. And last night I had a wonderful dream about coming here. But in the midst of that dream and so on, I had another vision. And it was a vision that I had died and I had gone to heaven. Now, uh, I know I'm going to heaven, you know. It was just wonderful. I know that with a certainty. But, you know, dreams are a little strange. And and I wasn't quite there yet. I ended up on this big cloud. Now, that's not in the Scripture, but you know how dreams are. And uh, when I ended up there, there was Peter. And I'm not looking forward to seeing Peter. I'm going to see Jesus when I get to heaven. But dreams are dreams. And there was Peter, and he was looking at me. And, and he said, welcome. And I said, oh, I, I'm so glad I'm here. And he says, well, you're not quite. <laughs> kind of disturbed me because in the Bible it says, you know, when I'm absent from the body, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. But a dream. And he said, uh, see this big long ladder? And I looked, and there was this ladder that just kept going and going and going right on up. And he said, um, to get to heaven, you're going to have to climb that ladder. Now, folks, that's not Scripture because it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. But it was a dream. And he said, you've got to climb up there. And I said, okay. And I got ready to start climbing that ladder when he said, reach out your hand. And so I put out my hand, and he put this big clump of chalk in my hand. I looked at that, and I said, what that's for? And he said, well, as you're climbing that ladder, every time a sin comes to mind, you've got to stop and just mark that rung and that ladder. Well, again, you know, I know that when I'm forgiven through Christ, my past is gone. My sins are buried in the deepest ocean. Signs been put up, no fishing, okay? But a dream is a dream, and that dream and vision was there. And so I started climbing. I've been climbing along and marking a rung every now and then as a sin. And, well, I was marking a lot of rungs, actually, but but we won't go into that. Well, after a while, I got a little tired as I was climbing. I stopped for a moment, put my arm around the rung, trying to catch my breath, when all of a sudden I heard a heck of a noise up above me. I mean, just 
really a bunch of noise and clatter, and I looked up, and there was Pastor Aaron. But he was coming back down. And I mean, he was coming down quick. And being the good friend that I am to him, you know, and kind of feeling a, a spiritual mentorship too, I said, Aaron, stop, you're going the wrong way. And he said, get out of the way, i got to get some more chalk. <laughs> so next Sunday, don't say anything to him until Sunday morning. You all each bring a piece of chalk and bring it up here to him, okay? Just help him along. <laughs> this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and open them up to Matthew's Gospel, the 20th chapter. Now, one of the things we do in our services, and I hope you'll indulge me since I'm your guest, is that uh, when I read our Scripture text, I have everybody stand in both of our services. We have an 8.30 and we have an 11 o'clock as we give reverence to the authority of God's Word in our lives. So would you stand with me as I read from Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16 in the NIV. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour. and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why are you standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you go also and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, each uh, had expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So ends the reading. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, I am convinced today one of the biggest problems we have in the church is that we don't understand grace. You know, the church has a terrible reputation at times, doesn't it? You know, people say, well, the church shoots their wounded. You'll hear people say, well, the church people aren't loving. They talk a great deal about love, but they sure don't show very much. And the truth of the matter, sometimes the people out there in the world treat one another better than church people treat one another, and certainly those in the world. Something is terribly wrong. 
Particularly when you take a look at when Jesus is teaching in the parables, he's bringing forth a lesson. Now, if Jesus were standing in front of you and he was giving you a lesson, do you think you might listen? You bet. Particularly when he brings that lesson out in more than one parable or more than one story. Just two chapters before this, Jesus is preaching about an unjust steward. A man who owns his bene- owes his benefactor a million dollars. And he's brought in, and this king, this benefactor says, because you haven't paid me what you owe me, I'm going to throw you in prison until every cent is paid. And obviously, the man can never pay his debt. And he says, oh, please have mercy on me. You know, I'll do my best. I'll pay you what I can, please. And his benefactor has mercy and says, I'll forgive the whole debt. And then he goes out, and he has somebody who owes him $1,000 and can't pay it. And he grabs the guy by the throat and says, give me my money. And the guy says, I I haven't got it. Have mercy on me. And he says, no way. I'm throwing you in jail until every cent is paid. And some other people go back to the original king, the benefactor, and say, this is what this unjust servant is doing. And the king is mad and grabs him and throws him in prison. You see, it's all about grace. The story that we just read as we stood and the story that Jesus told just two chapters before that is about grace. And don't you think if God's put them so close together, he's trying to tell us something? You see, Christianity is supremely a religion of grace. But even so, grace is not well understood and it's really not believed by most people in the church. And the reason for that, I think, is just grace itself. You know, grace is really a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It it has an edge to it. It's not what we normally do. You see, we're still kind of at, at our nature, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth type of people. You know, and and here this Jesus comes along, and he's so radical, he tells us to go the extra mile. He tells us to turn the other cheek. He tells us to love those who are unlovable, and not only just love them, pray for them. I pray for them, too. God, send some fire on their heads. Burn them up. No, 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 that's not what he said. He said, pray blessings on them. you got to be joking, God. Pray, Pray blessings on my enemies? You see, God's kind of radical, isn't he? And so is grace. And in our text, God wants us to learn some important truths about grace. And so I'm going to ask you just to come along with me. Now, normally when I do things in our our church, I have sermon notes and all those kinds. I don't know what you guys do here. Sometimes they're extensive because they like to use them for Bible studies and other things afterwards. But If you want to take notes, here's what I'd like to share with you. Three things about grace. Three things. We understand that grace is number one, undeserved. Number one, grace is undeserved. You know, in in our text this morning, the landowner says, are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious? Are you mad at me because I am a person of grace? And, of course, the vineyard owner is what? In this story, a representative of God, isn't he? 
And so we understand that, that God's a God of grace. For the Bible tells us, for every one of us have sinned, okay? Every one of us. Would you say, I'm a sinner? Well, look at the other person and point at them and say, they're a sinner. Would you do that? Okay, just point at them. You're a sinner. Okay, now that you got your finger out, point it at yourself, okay? Say with me, I'm a sinner. That's the truth. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your sweetest grandmother here, who is known as the sweetest grandmother at church triumphant, has still been a sinner. All of us have fallen short. Now, sometimes we don't like to think of that because, you see, we think of sin in, in big terms, okay? But God looks at the inside. And the reason he doesn't put a degree on sin, even though certain sins have greater repercussions in the here and now, but he didn't say the wages of a great sin or many sins, and one sin separates us from him. The wages of sin is what? Death, separation from God. That's because at the very core, sin is rebellion against God. My way instead of God's way. My will instead of God's will, right? And every one of us have done that. You've done things you shouldn't be doing. You know you have. But, you know, you've also not doing the things that you ought to be doing. That's sins of omission. And then, sometimes we use our tongues in ways we ought to not use them, huh? Say things we oughtn't say. or you, have, you, have you run into people in your church? I don't know if you have this in this church, but in Baptist churches, we have some people who really think they have the spiritual gift of criticism. Uh-huh. I, I know it's true because they use it, their tongue to criticize and tear down, okay? I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm just about finished off my doctorate, and I've been studying the, the Bible for a long time. And, you know, I haven't found anywhere in here the, the spiritual gift of criticism. I haven't, but I do find where God says we're to esteem one another and build one another up, okay? But sometimes we tear down, don't we? And then we think thoughts we shouldn't think. I won't go into that, will I, guys? Or gals, now don't smirk because I know that some of you here have watched the reruns of Magnum P.I. You've seen old Thomas there. And you look over at your husband sitting back in his easy chair. He's got bad breath. He hasn't shaved. And you look at him, and you look at Tom and go, <laughs> So you guys are all caught into it. Come on. You can't fool me. Sometimes we think things that we ought not think. And the wages of sin is death. And, and the beauty of this is that the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were seeking him and we were good people coming to church triumphant, he died for us. No, that's not what it says, is it? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we didn't deserve it, when we weren't following the rules, when we weren't good churchy Religious people, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us. But one of the most harmful sins that we can commit is the sin of taking God's grace for granted. Now, some people, I'm sure it doesn't happen here, but being a Baptist all these years, I, all I can do is share from a Baptist perspective, we've got some people in our churches today who really think they were pretty good people and they just got better after they met Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I know none of that would happen here, but there are people who kind of do that. You know, they've been given grace, but they're not so willing to offer grace to somebody else. Isn't that amazing? You know, through 30 years of being a senior pastor and being a counselor, I used to have a private office doing that as well, but I'd have people come who, you know, and, and as I would look at kind of the, the degree of sin, again, God doesn't put that, but, you know, sometimes we do. So I, I mean, I've met some people who have some pretty high-level sins, okay? And God's forgiven them, and God's blessed them, and God's given them a new start and a new life. And then they come along, those same people, and someone else who does what I would call one of those itty-bitty little sins, they get all upset and say, well, oh, they shouldn't be in the church, and they shouldn't be in the leadership and all this. How do you do that? When God's forgiven so much, and you turn around, and you can't offer grace to somebody else? That's a very dangerous thing, because you see that little story that I told you about the parable of the unjust steward, God doesn't take a very good view of people who have received forgiveness, received grace, undeserved, and won't offer undeserved grace to others around. And so, as we took a look at ours, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is what? Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now, a gift is just that. If I give you even a penny for that, it's no longer a gift, right? It, it, you can't pay for it. What God's given to you, not of works, so no one can boast. And the story that we've looked at is not everybody responds alike to his goodness. Some compare and evaluate their own goodness and thereby fail to understand God's graciousness. These day laborers, You've got to understand what's taking place here. None of them had steady jobs, get it? The day laborers would come down 6 o'clock in the morning. The workday was divided into 12 hours. And they would come to the marketplace probably by 5.30. And by 6 o'clock already, the employers in the area would come by and they would choose these day laborers. And they had, to, they had to depend on the graciousness or the grace, as it were, of the employers in the area to be able to go out and work to provide bread for their families. And the reason they were paid at the end of the workday was because then they would go out and they would buy food. If they didn't get hired, their children didn't eat. They had to depend daily on someone hiring them. And these workers were fortunate because they didn't have steady jobs. They were fortunate to be called that morning. They were experiencing undeserved favor, grace. Number one, grace is undeserved. Number two, grace is unfair. Grace is unfair. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. Now, as I said, the work day is divided. It's 12 hours long, and there's four different segments, okay? And so about 9 o'clock, he came back again. At noon, he came back again. 3 o'clock, he came back again. And then the amazing thing the employer came back one hour before the end of the workday. 
Now, think with me about those people who were hired at 5 o'clock. Put yourself in their position. I don't know if you've ever experienced, but I've seen others. Have you ever watched the kid who was always chosen last for the team? Uh, maybe you were one of those. You can kind of in, identify with them. You know, how, how would you feel? You've been standing there all day long. And all the brightest, all the best, ah, they were chosen first. All the most talented, the most skilled, they were taken first. You're one of the leftovers. Who in the right mind would pick a leftover? Who in the right mind would come along and hire somebody for one hour? You're not going to get much work out of them, particularly if they're the leftovers and the least skilled, right? But you have one hour of work. Hmm. So what does that mean when we look at this parable? What's, what's God saying? You see, what he's trying to tell us is that those leftovers, those last one-hour people, they really represent us. What do you really have to offer, God? Huh? Your smarts? Does God need your brains? <laughs> we don't even have a clue, do we? Huh? Does he need your talents? Oh, I'll bet he needs your money. No, he owns it all anyhow. You're just, you know, stewards of it. How do I know that? Because you're not taking it with you, folks. You're not. I haven't seen a U-Haul follow a hearse yet. Mm -hmm. So it's all his. Okay. What do you have to offer? You're just like those leftovers. Okay? They represent us. But isn't it sad? The all-day workers, they don't complain about their wages because they know their pay was generous and what they agreed upon. They're upset because they feel superior. We worked all day. Therefore, we deserve more. There's part of us who want God to give us grades so that we can compare ourselves with others. Why? Because, you know, we want to feel a little bit more superior, don't we? A little bit more deserving. Now, again, I'm sure it never has happened here at Church Triumphant. All I can relate is the churches I've had. But, you know, the churches I've passed, I've had people in the pews who have said, <clears throat> I've been a member for 20 years. 30 years. I've been a member since dirt. Therefore, I've paid my dues. The church ought to make me happy. Huh? I don't like the music, so you ought to change the music to fit me. I don't like this or I don't like that because after all, you know, I've been here longer than the rest and I've paid my dues and I, I deserve. You ought to listen to me. You ought to be more concerned about meeting my needs. Huh? Somehow, people begin to believe that the church belongs to them. But it doesn't belong to them, does it? Who, who does the church belong to? God, doesn't it? Huh? And what's the purpose of the church? Is it to make you happy, make you comfortable, meet your need? Or is it to be the vehicle that Jesus wants to use to meet the people out there who haven't experienced what you've been blessed with? Can I get a testimony? Amen.
That's what the church is about. And here are these people. They agreed for one denarius, right? They got what they agreed upon. The others who came, they get the same thing. And you know what's so neat about this story? God paid the leftovers first. Huh? Just to show his goodness. And to find out where the hearts of the other people were. But that's the thing about grace. It's not fair. And aren't you glad that God isn't fair with you? Huh? That's what grace is. undeserved. Number two, it's just not fair. Because God isn't fair. God's a God of grace. God's a God of love. And God's a God of mercy. And you better be thankful. That he is. Okay? So number one, it's undeserved. Number two, it's not fair. Number three, it's always more than expected. Now, first and foremost, grace makes us equal, doesn't it? That's what God does. Grace makes us equal. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve what we have. We're all saved at the same level at the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ. Now, it's always more than expected. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Now, if you think about that, how wonderful is this vineyard owner? I mean, here these guys came, they worked for one hour, and they probably weren't very productive in that hour, as we've already said, and yet they receive a denarius. They came, I'm sure, expecting that at best we're going to get one-twelfth of a denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's wages, and in today's terms, dollars and cents, it would equal about $50. So if you worked all day, you might get $50. How would you like to live on $50 a day, five days a week? Huh? $250 a week. Yeah. So that's what they were living on in today's standard. Not very much. Barely getting by. But you know, the wonderful and beautiful thing that we have here is that God makes them equal. He gives those who had worked 12 hours the same amount as those who had worked one hour and people were upset, but you see the beautiful thing about this employer, this employer's compassion recognized that it took as much bread to feed the people, families who worked one hour as those who worked 12 hours. Get it? Do you get it? I'm wondering. I see you kind of looking kind of blank. You see... The kids of the people who worked one hour, the leftover people, were just as hungry as the kids of the ones who worked for 12 hours or six hours or nine hours. The need was just as great. And you see, God is this vineyard owner, and he recognizes that our needs are equal, isn't it? All of us need to be saved. You know, one of the songs you sang, the first part, I love that song. It says, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs love. And God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he saved you and he saved me. But he didn't stop there. 
Now, if you knew my past life and I've ever had time, I could go into a long story. I lived kind of a really bad past life. Uh, I know what it's like to be saved, what's taken out of darkness and transformed. I am so thankful to be saved. But God didn't stop there. You know, he looked at Steve and he said, Steve, not only have I taken away your past, which was really bad. I mean, I was a drunkard. I was a woman chaser. I was a murderer. Now, you can say it was war, but I'll tell you what, I like killing. I really did. And I stopped counting after I had 100 confirmed kills. The more people I killed, the more medals they put on my chest. And God forgave me. Not only did he forgive me, but then he said, Steve, I'm giving you a new life. On top of that, I've called you to be a joint heir of the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ. And then on top of it, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then he said, I'll share your, my glory with you. And on top of that, Steve, I'm going to call you my kid. He said, Steve, not only have I saved you, have I made you a joint heir, you're going to heaven, you got all these rights and all these resources, but also you can call me daddy, just like Jesus did. Wow, isn't that an awesome God? And he's not showing favoritism. What he's done for me, he's also done So kind of let me put it together for you this morning in an application. How do you find God's grace for yourself? You know, God's gone out of his way to make it easy. Churches and religion make it tough. God made it easy. Just ask. Turn to Jesus. He's the answer. You don't need more education. You don't need more social programs. You don't need more government or less government. What you need is Jesus. 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 And we've been given that grace. Therefore, it's our privilege and obligation as Christians to show that grace to others. I want to share with you as I close a a, a story. Heard about a man who really loved dogs. I mean, he really loved dogs. And so he read all the books he could on dogs. And not only did he read all the books on dogs, but he went to all the seminars he could take in about dogs and dog care. And then on top of that, he even began to lead little groups talking about dogs and dog care and the love of dogs. But one day, he decided he needed to replace his front sidewalk. And so they dug it all up, and he had somebody bring in the concrete, and he got down on his knees. And as he was finishing the last few square feet with his trowel of his wonderful brand-new poured cement sidewalk, He looked up to see a dog walk across it. He was not real happy, and his neighbor was watching what was going on from his picture window, and noticed the man put his head down and was saying something under his breath. Probably good that we didn't hear it. He smoothed it all out. He took his trowel, he took his equipment, he went to the side of the house, and he turned on the faucet, and he started washing off all of his equipment, you know, cleaning it down. And about the time he got it all cleaned, he walked around the side of his house and was going to admire his sidewalk again. And wouldn't you know, there were some more dog tracks. 
car, and dog went across it again. This time he got a little bit more angry, but he went out there and he smoothed it all out with his trowel and wiped the sweat from his brow. And as he began to leave and go into the house, here came that blasted dog, walked right across it again. This time he used the Lord's name in vain and a few other words along with it. Got his trowel, got some twine, got it all together, went back out there, cleaned it off, put a fence of twine around his new sidewalk, figured that would do it, walked back, got to his house, just got up his stairs into his porch when he looked out, and here that doggone dog came back, and this time sat right in the middle. The guy let out a scream, a few H-E double toothpicks, ran into his house, went and got his gun, came running out the door, put the gun in his shoulder, aimed at the thing, shot the dog dead. The neighbor who had been watching, watching through his picture window, was overwhelmed. He shot that dog. So he came running out of his house and he came to his neighbor and he said, why'd you do that? I thought you loved dogs. I thought you really cared for dogs. And then you shot it. Why? And the man said, I love dogs in the abstract, but I hate them in the concrete. We kind of love grace in the abstract. But what about when grace comes close to home, and you're called to give it to someone who doesn't deserve it. When you're called to forgive again and again that person that doesn't seem to get it right. When people look at church triumphant, do they immediately think, there's a church of grace? When your family members and your friends and your co-workers look at you, do they see you as a representative of the grace of Jesus Christ? And what you have is so loving, so wonderful, that they want the grace of Jesus too? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you this morning that you've given us such wonderful grace, that you love us. And we're so unlovable that you've saved us through the precious blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Who are we that you'd be mindful of us and yet you love us and you've given us such undeserved favor? And God, if there's anyone here this morning who's never experienced that relief, that new life, that relationship of love in Christ, that changes us from the inside out and gives us hope and peace. I pray during our invitation, they'll come because there'll be people who will pray with them, share with them, and they can know it for themselves. Many of us have made that decision. But you know, along the way, we get sidetracked. We, we let the world creep in, and God, we get a little confused, and we lose the wonderful love and the joy that was there. But you're always willing to give us a new start. And God, today, during the invitation, maybe we just need to come and rededicate.
so that you can renew us and fill us again with your presence and your grace. And some here have seen problems and difficulties that are really big. They may mask it, but it's real. It's too big for them, but it's the right size for Jesus. And God, they don't have to be perfect or change. All they need to do is come in humility and give those problems to you and receive undeserved favor. There'll be others who will pray with them. Maybe someone's been a spectator here. And today you're calling them to be part of the kingdom of God's work here at Church Triumphant. Would you bring them this morning to start that process? Lord, I brought the message. Oh, how you love your people here. You've got so much more for them than they can imagine for themselves. Don't let them miss the blessing of your grace this morning. As you meet us heart to heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?